All right, what's going on, guys? My name is Mateo. Welcome to the channel. I know that a lot of you have come from the Money Today show. We are going to give you some red meat today. We're going to dig in to MasterCard. MasterCard is one of the big, big multinational conglomerate financial companies, which is digging a lot into crypto. They're getting their hands in everything, exchanges, payment systems, different cryptos, uh, crypto companies like the Digital Currency Group, which I know a lot of people are looking forward to. On our channel, we're doing a very long series on the Digital Currency Group coming up. We're going to be digging into all the companies that they're invested in, who is on their board, the, uh, board of directors, and everything like that. I mean, we've got so much in the pipeline to really dig into the deets of really what's going on in the cryptocurrency space. A lot of people have been convinced that this is the future. Cryptocurrency is the future, and there's no doubt about that in my mind. The question is, is whether or not it's a future of freedom or a future of total financial serfdom. And I think this is something to consider with everything that we're about to dig into today because we've seen a lot in regards to the integration of the legacy financial system of banks moving into the new financial system of crypto. And there are a lot of people who, because they've been making so much money, and because we're in this environment now where our standards of living are going down as a result of inflation uh, and as a result of different economic policies, which have very much moved a lot of wealth out of the middle class, there are a lot of people desperate to make money. And if you can get people part of a movement, which makes them a lot of money and makes them think that it's going to lead them to freedom too, that's huge. That is really convincing. And that gives people a lot of inspiration. But maybe it's not what it seems. Maybe there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes which makes it so that you're being played. And so I want to get into that here a little bit because this is something which I have been learning over the last month or so, talking to people like the Money Today Show and talking to different people who are aware of the issues with Bitcoin and the issues with Ethereum and how they're going to be tracked and traced and how that's going to play into this new surveillance system. A lot of stuff to go into today. So, guys, if you find this information valuable, I'm going to ask that you like the video, subscribe to the channel, share the links, because almost nobody out there is covering what we're covering here and covering, covering like in general, what we're going through on our channel. I mean, we are going through really cutting edge stuff. So I'm going to ask that you support us by liking the videos, moving up into the algorithm, checking us out on Patreon, donating to the addresses and following us on social media. Very key. All that's in the description. So check it out. So let's get into the content. Thank you guys for tuning in. So digging into MasterCard. Why is MasterCard bringing the crypto onto its network? So, this was written in February 2021, so relatively recent. Whatever your opinions on cryptocurrencies, from a dyed-in-the-wool fanatic to other skeptic, the fact remains that these digital assets are becoming a more important part of the payments world. We are seeing this fact play out on the MasterCard network with people using cards to buy crypto assets, especially during Bitcoin's recent surge of value. We're also seeing users increasingly take advantage of crypto cards to access these smart access these uh, assets and convert them to traditional currencies for spread, uh, spending. Goodness. Uh, to be clear, this data is not of any individuals. It's anonymized and aggregate, but the trend is unmistakable. Yeah, we'll get to how anonymized all this stuff could be. Uh, we're preparing right now for the future 
of crypto and payments, announcing that this year MasterCard will start supporting select cryptocurrencies directly onto our network. And remember, this is written by the MasterCard newsroom, so uh, this is them talking to you. Uh, this is a big change that will require a lot of work. We will be very thoughtful about which assets we support based on our principles for digital currencies, which focuses on consumer protections and compliance. Key. So what are their principles exactly? Well, so let's get down to here. They're looking for four key items here. First and foremost, we need consumer protections, which means regulation, right? Including privacy and security of consumers' information. The same level of security people have come to expect in their credit cards. Next, strict compliance protocols will be needed, including KYC, Know Your Customer, a requirement meant to snuff out illegal activity and deception in payment networks. Well, why would want why would people want to be deceptive in regards to their money? Well, it could be that the third parties are becoming ever more totalitarian. It could be that we're moving into a uh, certain environment where you're going to need certain passports and certain identification in order to be a part of the economic system. So it could be that a lot of people are looking to cryptocurrencies like Monero and Pirate Chain and uh, Zano and Darrow and things like this in order to make it so that they can just do peer-to-peer payments just as what the initial intention of cryptocurrency was, to do peer-to-peer payments with each other without needing a third party doing regulatory oversight. And when we get to understanding who is behind MasterCard, that's going to make a lot more sense. So stick with me here. This is going to be a longer video, but the information is key, so stay with me. Also, these digital assets must follow local laws and regulations in the regions they're used. Key, exactly. Lastly, people want to use these digital assets for payments, so that is one of our criteria too. So they want you to use it as a spending vehicle, not so much an investment, as said here. We are already working hard to provide this consumer choice for cryptocurrencies. We teamed up with WireX and BitPay last year to create crypto cards that allow people to transact using their cryptocurrency. So one thing I want to note is, and we're going to see a lot of this, especially as we go into the digital currency group, but also in this video, is that a lot of these companies are invested in each other. And so when they say that they're partnering up and teaming up with this company and that company, in many cases, it's the same people, right? Like we see this a lot with Coindesk, uh, covering different projects. And you go on some of these projects' websites and it's got as featured in by Coindesk. Well, Coindesk is owned by the Digital Currency Group. And the Digital Currency Group has a portfolio of like 100 different projects. And a lot of those projects say, as featured on Coindesk. And it's the same people. And look at BitPay, right? BitPay is owned, uh, or at least heavily invested in, by the Digital Currency Group. Yeah, there it is. Yes, the Digital Currency Group. And so that's something to consider because MasterCard is heavily invested in the digital currency group. And so, yes, okay, here we go. Yeah, they're invested in BitPay. That is something to consider. And we'll get to that a little bit later because it turns out some people behind MasterCard are the same people behind digital currency group. And again, they're invested in each other. They have a relationship. And so let's see here. We teamed up with Wirex BitPay last year to create crypto cards that allow people to transact using their cryptocurrencies. We added to those partnerships this year by joining forces with LVL, an up-and-coming cryptocurrency exchange. Now, we'll see how much LVL is invested in by you know companies like the Digital Currency Group because 
going through the portfolio, and I'm only on D at this moment with our research, but from what I've been able to glean, the digital currency group is invested in exchanges from Dubai, Mexico, U.S., Japan, South America. Uh, they're heavily invested in Coinbase, a major U.S. exchange, China, Hong Kong, France, Australia, and the Philippines. So far, that's what I've been able to uh, pick up. And again, MasterCard invested in the digital currency group. So you could probably see in the future more MasterCard uh, exchange uh, relationships, right? So back to this, these relationships with many more planned in the pipeline, as you may imagine, as we just said, build on our many years of crypto collaborations, right? They've been doing this since 2013, I believe. So they've seen this coming. Don't let, uh, don't be fooled that, oh, we're just adapting with the times. Like, no, in many cases, these big legacy financial corporations are the ones who are facilitating the growth of a lot of these projects that people think is conducive to their freedom. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Uh, back to the article. In all these cases, cryptocurrencies still don't move through our network. Our crypto partners convert the digital assets on their end to tra traditional currencies, then transmit them through to the MasterCard network. Our change to supporting digital assets directly will allow many more merchants to accept crypto. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And to make this work, and key point, guys, watch this. Added to, added to this work, MasterCard is actively engaging with several major central banks around the world as they review plans to launch new digital currencies, dubbed CBDCs, to offer their citizens a new way to pay and offer central banks and governments a new way to track their citizens' spending activities, uh, to track maybe their balances, and probably to... Uh, inflate the currency that much more to prevent a deflationary collapse. But that's a whole other conversation. That Last year, back to the article, we created a test platform for these banks to use these currencies in a simulated environment. So MasterCard is working directly with central banks. Like that's how integrated they are. And when we look at the board of directors on MasterCard and who is invested in MasterCard, you're going to see why it is they have such a cozy relationship. They are heavily invested in by major banks, major hedge funds, the UN, and you know we'll get to all that. But look, using our deep experience in payment technologies, we look forward to continuing these partnerships with governments and helping them explore the best ways to develop these new currencies. Right, exactly. With 89 blockchain patents, 89 blockchain patents, that's a lot, okay? Granted globally with an additional 285 blockchain applications pending worldwide. We already have one of the payment industry's biggest blockchain patent portfolios to draw from to make these projects successful. And so I also want to note here, and I'm, I can't remember if I have this up. I think I do. But they just recently bought CypherTrace. In CypherTrace, when I was doing the research initially into the digital currency group, uh, I was like, cool, at least they don't have CypherTrace. But MasterCard now owns CypherTrace. And that is going to be in tandem with the portfolio the digital currency group has of Chainalysis, Cognito, Civic, and some of these other blockchain forensics analytical companies, which are watching the blockchain at all times, gathering information on you and gathering information on your spending habits in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. So this is coming. We are 
back to the article. We are inspired by so much of the work going on in the payments world, in banking, in emerging fintechs, in crypto, to push forward change. Yes, because it's all about progress, all about change. And we are doing this as much as we can to set the stage for these players to take the next step forward. And when they talk about the players, I guess they're talking about the central banks. They're talking about the bankster crab. Yes, they will definitely take the next step forward. So, on to the next article. And this is from Coindesk, again, owned by the Digital Currency Group, which is invested in by MasterCard. MasterCard president says crypto patents will pay off when central bank digital currencies arrive. And it's already paying off for them because presumably they're getting paid by these central banks in order to help them develop their central bank digital currencies, right? So crypto IP puts us in a good position for central bank digital currencies. And by the way, intellectual property with uh, crypto is kind of an inverted idea, right? Because crypto is supposed to be totally libertarian, totally free market, and intellectual property is not libertarian. It's not free market. And so that's just something to keep in mind. Whatever you think about intellectual property, I know it's a debate in libertarian circles, but uh, for the anarcho-capitalist apostles of crypto, IP is not supposed to be part of the plan. So let's read this. MasterCard President Michael Meebach said the payments processor's massive trove of cryptocurrency patents will give it an edge once central bank digital currencies debut. MasterCard cryptocurrencies uh, intellectual property puts us in good position for a CBDC future, he said during an earnings call. The link into an acceptance network is critical. So we hold some patents in crypto space that link these transactions right back into our network where it can be used. And this is how we can bring value, and it brings value to us. Brings value to us. We love it. Meekbach further asserted that MasterCard is the leading payments player for crypto IP. That may be true for now, but perhaps not for long. Ant Group affiliate Alibaba is on track to hold an unprecedented number of blockchain patents by the end of the year, too. Wow. And so Chinese big tech companies are getting in on this. And something to note is that Jim Brayer, who we'll get to here in a little bit, uh, and if you don't know a lot about Jim Brayer, which I'm sure some of you do if you came from the Money Today show, he is behind a lot of crypto projects like VeChain, uh, USDC, uh, and many other projects. His wife is Angela Chow, who is a sister of Elaine Chow, who is Mitch McConnell's wife. And uh, Angela Chow is part of the Council on Foreign Relations. She sits on the Bank of China. So, yeah, China and Chinese banks and Chinese big tech companies are getting into blockchain. Uh, A company spokesperson did not immediately answer questions regarding the size of MasterCard's crypto trove, uh, but it says uh, in the other article they have about 89 patents. So, yeah, that's something to note. MasterCard is talking with world governments on their plans for a central bank digital currency. (laughs) I mean, yo, alarm bells. So... We talked about this a little bit. MasterCard Cypher Trace deal brings trust and blockchain forensics to crypto space. Right. Uh, as crypto and digital currencies take shape, where Bitcoin, blockchain, CBDCs, and stablecoins jostle against one another for preeminence, there needs to be a proverbial adult in the room who I guess are uh, senile and uh, corrupt and warmongering. Yeah, those adults. That's right. Someone who makes sure things are safe and secure and trusted. Yes, yes. So the government. Because we can trust them, can't we? Ajay Bala, President Cyber and Intelligence at MasterCard. 
uh, said that the digital assets ecosystem could only succeed and reach its full potential if there's trust. And we'll get to a J here in a little bit. When we're talking about a J, uh, we're talking about uh, the United Nations, the World Trade Organization, the Trilateral Commission, uh, world's largest equity fund, the Carlyle Group. I believe he was the F FCC chairman too, but that could be somebody else. But yes, he's very much involved in all this stuff. And we'll get to that. And I believe that's over here. Yeah, so this guy right here. Uh, so yeah, we'll just run to this quickly. So look at this, right? Member on the Council on Foreign Relations. And we'll understand the importance of that later. Very globalista-oriented. Uh, chairman of the International Chamber of Commerce, which has relations with the United Nations, as do other board members here. Uh, he had executive positions at this at Citigroup, uh, was on Dow and DuPont company boards, uh, former member of the President's Advisory Committee for Trade Policy and Negotiations. So yeah, pretty connected guy, right? The most concerning for me, though, is the Council on Foreign Relations. That is a big indicator of where this guy is oriented, right? So uh, that... Back to the article, that trust extends across and between all the various stakeholders from the consumers to exchanges to the wallet issuers to the fintechs and financial institutions that work together to bring innovation to consumers and commercial settings. To that end, as reported last week, MasterCard said that it would acquire cryptocurrency intelligence startup CypherTrace in a bid to help crystallize that trust where the regulatory environs are the only going are only going to become more stringent and challenging. All right, so they're telling you right there. Uh, more regulations are coming. And Ray Dalio came out today and he said that, uh, look, if Bitcoin becomes a threat to those in power, to those who are presumably going to be rolling out these CBDCs, they will kill it. And that's Ray Dalio. He's the head of the world's largest hedge fund, or at least he was. But all the comments were like, oh, they can't do that. They can't stop Bitcoin. Haven't they learned by now? Look, either Bitcoin is going to be co-opted and it's going to be used for their advantage, for uh, them in gathering intelligence on you, and with Michael Saylor behind this stuff, who uh, is the head of MicroStrategy, which is da a data analytics company, which has relations with the Department of Defense, Department of Justice, uh, uh, TSA, and the government in general, right? And a lot of people don't know this, but yeah, I mean... Bitcoin and the blockchain gives a lot of intel about everyday people. And so that is very valuable information that maybe they don't want to get rid of. Maybe they don't want to spook people out of that into something like Monero, where you're truly private, right? You have stealth addresses. People can't see how much is in your wallet. They can't see because of ring signatures uh, what transaction is yours because there are decoys. Um, it's actually better tech than Bitcoin. It's faster. It's more scalable. And they don't want to spook people into something like that because if people started to use something like Monero or some of these other cryptocurrencies in the Freedom Coin space, that could become a problem for them. So it could be that they don't kill it because it serves them more than it would if they did. But they can. They can. Unrealized capital gains. Again, we've talked about that. I'll probably link the video up there. Uh, and other regulatory burdens would get people out of Bitcoin, and maybe they'll go into another one of these cryptocurrencies, which is backed by somebody like MasterCard, 
which is regulatorily friendly, which maybe is allowed as legal tender. Uh, maybe there's mass adoption of that because there's uh, uh, some kind of uh, there's more help from the government to make that happen, right? So back to the article. The deal, he said, the CypherTrace deal, brings transaction monitoring to cover all of the crypto and the digital currencies in the NFTs, Bala told Webster, adding that the way investments are going in this space from a consumer perspective, from financial institutions' perspective, from the crypto exchanges' perspective, this space is only going to become bigger. Uh, the landscape, of course, is still fragmented, and that's putting it mildly. CypherTrace has estimated that more than half of the top 800 crypto providers lack good know-your-customer practices, and they want to change that. They see it as a problem. And with MasterCard and the digital currency group investing in as many exchanges as we've talked about, KYC's coming for all these on-ramps, right? Beyond that, 8 out of 10 banks unknowingly harbor unregistered crypto money service businesses. Yeah, and I bet more than 8 out of 10 banks uh, launder money for criminals. <laughs> I mean, we saw in one of our other videos, I think it was the Fluffy Pony one, where HSBC, Deutsche Bank, and some of these other banks launder money for, like, cartels. And they've been charged many times manipulating the gold and silver markets, which, again, we talked about in our gold manipulation video. Yeah, I mean, they're criminal organizations for the most part. But you see, it's wrong if they have unregistered crypto money because, you know, that's your money. That's the middle class people's money. That's the peons money. We got to make sure they're in check, right? So back to the article. Consider the fact that though the crypto market is worth around $2 trillion as Bitcoins and altcoins gain ground, there's still roughly a one-to-one -one relationship between those coins and networks, i.e. each digital offering is built on its own blockchain. In some cases, there's overlap, but you get the idea. It's no secret, too that the crypto space is a virtual, and we mean virtual in the literal sense, playground for fraudsters. Here we go. After all, they can cloak themselves in anonymity to attack exchanges, ply their trade via ransomware and other tactics. Yeah, but they can still find these fraudsters, and they can still find these hackers. Um, look at our Poly Network video, which we did about a couple weeks ago. There was a guy who hacked the Poly Network, and maybe you've heard about this, where $611 million were hacked off of this DeFi network. And what happened? Well, they immediately figured out what addresses uh, all of these cryptocurrencies were going to. And in the case of Ethereum, they were able to freeze that guy's account immediately almost instantaneously, and then he couldn't move the Ethereum anywhere. And so that's a good thing to the eyes of many people in the public. Oh, look, we stopped a bad guy because Ethereum is totally centralized and uh, able to, like, I guess, freeze people's accounts, right? Uh, isn't that great? But just think, if the regulations start to move against you, uh, maybe get put on some list because they don't like what you say online, they don't like where it is you go, who it is you talk to, who it is you vote for maybe at some point, right? That could be problematic for you, right? So back to this. The need for trust is an urgent one if digital assets are to be embraced. So that's how they're going to frame it, right? We need to track you. We need to surveil you because we don't trust you is basically what they're saying. And that's good for trust if we know everything that you're doing. Uh, our customers see this as a big opportunity but are nervous about this space. And payments own studies have found that most consumers would like to use crypto to transact and yet feel they do not know enough about the holdings themselves to do so. Well, a lot of people don't know about the tax implications of this stuff. 
And given that all crypto is tracked and traced, uh, if you use it as a medium of exchange, which it isn't, it's treated as property by the IRS. I'm not sure how it's treated in some of your other countries. It's probably treated similarly. Well, if you're just using it as a medium of exchange, that means you're consistently selling property, which means you have to mark the gain or loss on that, and you have to report that to the IRS. If you don't do that, then you're out of compliance, and then that gives them a reason to look into you. And so, yes, that's on a lot of people's minds. Uh, They're not sure whether or not they want to use it as currency. They want to use it as an investment. But MasterCard says, we don't want people to hold these things as an investment. We want people to use it as a currency. But if you do that, everything that you do is on the public blockchain. They can see you're not paying taxes, and then boom, at some point, go after you. So consider that. The financial terms of the deal thus far are undisclosed, though the strategic intent is clear. And this is so key. Read this, guys. To combine both firms' cyber ad advanced tech capabilities, bringing artificial intelligence into the mix to help uncover fraud before it happens. Okay, so Minority Report here, Tom Cruise coming to mind. Think of our video, and again, if you're new to the channel, you got to check out our content. Seriously, we are so ahead of the curve on this stuff. Our community is way ahead of the curve. Just just watch our content. Like, Get up to date on this stuff. Look at our Unholy Alliance tax, artificial intelligence, and blockchain video. We talk about how artificial intelligence is coming into the mix of crypto and to these public blockchains. And they're going to be making in the future uh, computer code which has integrated into it tax code, which is interoperable with these public blockchains and smart contracts to where if you do a deal on a smart contract, for example, and all the duties are fulfilled, there's going to be a third party, which is the government, and they're going to automatically extract tax out of that transaction. Same thing with the public blockchains. They're going to be able to use artificial intelligence and Ernst & Young, PricewaterhouseCooper, KPMG, and some of these other big four accounting firms, Deloitte, are working on artificial intelligence as well in coordination with blockchain. And so that's coming. That is something to absolutely be aware of, right? Totally not libertarian, totally not what it is a lot of people thought crypto is going to be. But they're going to be able to track everything you do. And if the taxes get crazier and crazier, which you could expect them to do as governments get ever more indebted, as financial austerity really picks up, okay, they're going to literally just be able to suck your wealth out. Seriously. And so right now, crypto is sort of serving as an inflation sponge, thank God, to the Fed because inflation is getting out of control. A lot of money is moving into crypto, which is good because it's not moving into gold or silver, which would indicate that inflation is becoming a problem because a lot of people see gold and silver as an inflation barometer. And it's not going into staple goods, which means that you maybe don't have as much movement in the CPI, which they manipulate anyway. So think about that. Crypto is serving many, many goals for the people in power. So, back to the article. In terms of the mechanics, the payments network said that the Cypher, with CypherTrace's blockchain forensics in place, it would differentiate its card and real-time payments framework to benefit both clients and investors worldwide. CypherTrace's anti-fraud offerings are centered on anti-money laundering. And by extension, MasterCard can extend to its partners the ability to comply with various regulatory and legal mandates as they build their own digital assets, asset offerings, and infrastructure. CypherTrace, for its part, has 150 enterprise clients spanning traditional uh, finance, crypto exchanges, and other firms. Data feeds help monitor transactions tied to virtual asset service providers. The company's technology also provides risk scoring for those providers. So, key, we've seen this with exchanges, where 
the exchanges are tracking your Bitcoin and tracking other cryptocurrencies off the exchange to your wallet, maybe a few hops away from your wallet. We talked about this with Arctic Mine. Go see that interview. It's key. But they are able to determine the risk of certain addresses and what they've been involved in. And if they determine your activity off of their exchange to be considered high risk, they could ban you from that exchange. They could say that, hey, uh, we don't like where your Bitcoins went, not just where they come from, but where they went. And so, sorry, you just can't use our exchange anymore. That's happened to people. Seriously, that's been documented. Okay. And you could have had nothing to do with what happened a few hops away. But if they see that and they think it's risky and perhaps you had something to do with it, you may be falsely accused of being involved in that and you could get kicked off the exchange. And you'd have to go through a whole process and say, hey, I wasn't involved in this stuff, but how they know? How would you be able to evidence that, right? And Arctic Mind, he says, the way that they taint Bitcoin is very suspect. The strategy with which they use, uh, or the strategy that they use to do that. And so you could get caught up in stuff just by using this stuff. And if Cypher Trace is on the game, uh, doing risk analysis and uh, Bayesian reasoning, well, you, you could find yourself in trouble when you're actually totally innocent. So um, that is something to absolutely consider. Bala noted that CypherTrace acquisition is an extension of the firm's crypto strategy that has been crystallized in recent announcements. Yeah, we, we read about that. MasterCard said it would be uh, it would bring several cryptos on the network beginning later this year and into 2022, extending what Bala termed the company's multi-rail approach, which is just vertical integration. They're trying to gobble up all the different elements of the crypto industry, just as the Rockefellers did with oil back then. 100 years ago and if they really monopolized uh if they really monopolize a lot of their control over crypto first off they can make it so it's not too much a threat to the traditional financial powers which have been in control of our world for you know well over 100 years ever since the establishment of central banks but even then before that but they can use it to their advantage to further consolidate control and power so consider that guys consider that uh, acquiring CypherTrace gives us more capabilities to actually enable newer solutions across the entire crypto space. Yes. So, that is interesting. MasterCard finally embraces Bitcoin, invests in digital currency group. So, we've talked about this a little bit. This is back in 2015, old news, but this is worth considering with what we're going to get into later with the digital currency group. Digital currency group founded by Barry Siebert, Silbert, excuse me, who is an investment banker, by the way, builds and supports Bitcoin and blockchain companies by leveraging its insights, network, and access to capital. According to recent reports, a new digital currency group funding round has received support from big names in the financial sector, the legacy financial sector, mind you, including MasterCard, Canadian Bank CIBC, New York Life, Transamerica Ventures, and many others. Right? Among the investors, a name that probably raised many eyebrows is MasterCard. Last year, there were reports that the payment giant was paying lobbyists to focus on the growing digital currency Bitcoin. So, yes, they are involved. They are involved. Uh, since its inception, the digital currency group has supported several companies such as BitPay, Coinbase, Circle, uh, ItBit, Ripple, Ripple, mind you, and many more. Next article. 
MasterCard collaborates with Circle for U.S. dollar coin. And this is July 2021. So this is relatively recent. And again, if you're coming from the Money Today show, he does key work on this. You will understand why this is significant. Because Circle is very much tied into Jim Brayer, who has ties with just about everything. Okay. Uh, artificial intelligence, uh, the Bank of China, and some things we alluded to before. But it gets more interesting with this, so stick with us here. Circle announced a strategic partnership with MasterCard to employ USDC for the facilitation of converting cryptocurrency to fiat currency. The use of USDC will increase the ability of cryptocurrency businesses and card issuers to allow their customers to spend their crypto assets. At present, there is a total of $25 billion dollars worth of USDC in circulation. And I think it's in the top 10 for cryptos uh, as far as market cap goes. So definitely a lot of liquidity for it. And mind you, USDC is one of the main coins that you sell out of uh, your cryptos and go into on Coinbase, if you've ever traded on Coinbase before. So Coinbase, part of the digital currency group, as is Circle and USDC. So again, more relationships. You think they're different, but they're not. Same people. The cryptocurrency witnesses a huge transaction volume on chain that is worth over $785 billion. Again, so a lot of liquidity, very integral. The new partnership policy will enable the conversion of cryptocurrency assets into USDC before settlement with the US dollar. And just one note here, I'm interviewing the Haven team tomorrow. One person from the Haven team. Haven looks to have private stablecoins private uh, U.S. dollar, private euro, private Japanese yen. And they're working on some other things like private gold and private Bitcoin. Uh, and so that only has a market cap of about $100 million. There are some things I need to talk to the guy about tomorrow because I do have some questions. Let me just put it that way. But, yeah, just, you know, an interesting thing to throw out there. Uh, Haven Protocol, so just to be clear. Uh, XHB, I believe, is the ticker. The partnership seeks to use USDC to enable card issuers to settle MasterCard payments more conveniently. Yeah, so they're working together now. Uh, through the partnership, the two platforms will drive the world into an improved and more efficient web-based financial infrastructure. The engagement between Circle and MasterCard will improve the cryptocurrency card program of cryptocurrency exchange forums, making it more convenient for partners to convert crypto to fiat. Right. Right, and they have many relationships with many exchanges, so there's no reason this won't happen. MasterCard announced that the partnership with Circle would enable its card program to be part of crypto exchange forums and wallets. Yep, so they're moving to wallets now. The company is working even further to ease the process of converting cryptocurrency to fiat currency by creating an all-star group, all-star group through multiple partnerships with blockchain-based platforms like Evolve Bank and Trust and Paxos. Now, somebody had mentioned Paxos before, uh, I haven't looked into that a lot. I think it has to do with gold, right? Or maybe it doesn't. Uh, anyways, we're not going to look into that now. Somebody, people keep recommending that I look into gold back, uh, back uh, crypto projects. Anyways, according to this guy, the co-founder and CEO of Circle, collaboration between MasterCard and Circle will reinforce the significant role of USDC in e-commerce and online payment. The CEO is hopeful that USDC coin would create a bridge between established networks of payment and digital currency payment systems. Uh, interesting. So more adoption. It is. The, what if that is like the central bank digital currency just sitting out there in plain sight? Who knows? 
Maybe they like become interoperable with some algorithm that the central bank is setting up. I mean, again, MasterCard is helping central banks establish digital currencies. Who, who knows? Maybe MasterCard somehow going to link these projects together. Just thinking with you guys. Uh, am I still recording? I always get paranoid about that. Yes. It is the primary objective of the collaboration to simplify the process of card offerings for crypto-based corporations. The increasing adoption of stablecoin in the U.S. has urged the government to take quick action for the regulation of USDC to protect national security in the country's economy. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, here we go. And this is about Circle. Circle's new capital, China and Eurasian expansion. Euro expansion, but it is Eurasian. Uh, this is from 2016. Uh, it's talking about who has invested in Circle. So this is just worth going over if you haven't seen the digital currency or, or sorry the money today show videos um so today we announced two related milestones 60 million dollars in strategic financing from a syndicate of major chinese strategic investors in the formation of circle china a new beijing based company focused on bringing the benefit of open global blockchain powered social payments to chinese consumers and they can do this why well we're about to get into that where do they get all these connections yeah, so they want to do this for dollars, pounds, euro, renminbi. Uh, and look, MasterCard's partnered with these people. They're partnered with all of the global governments, which are working on their own digital currencies. Just making connections here for you guys. The $60 million strategic financing was led by existing investment partner IDG Capital Partners. They're a prolific Beijing-based venture, venture capital fund, which has been behind many prominent consumer internet companies in China. And they started investing in China back in like 2005 with Tencent and Baidu and many other companies that are now just completely huge, huge in China and is an influential player in global fintech investments. Breyer Capital, a premier global venture capital and private equity firm founded by Jim Breyer, participated strongly as well. So just to point something out to you guys, yes, Brayer Capital also participated in this. And you're led to believe that these are two different funds. Let's go to who is on the team of IDG Capital, okay? Jim Brayer, right here, same guy. And everybody else is like, you know, Asian looking, I guess. So <laughs> you're made to believe this is like a Chinese investment firm, but it's literally headed by Jim Brayer, okay? So... Just understand that, and let's look at their portfolio really quick just so you can sort of understand how powerful and integral these people are. Okay, so look at all these companies. These are huge, huge Chinese conglomerate companies. Baidu, they invested really early in Baidu. Okay, so let's go on down the list, and you could probably pick out some of these companies, especially if you're Chinese. I'm not. Some of these I don't really uh, know. Again, we see Circle and Coinbase. Digital Currency Group has invested in both. Again, so we see the links coming together. Uh, more companies, more companies. Feel free to pause the video if you want to look into these companies. Pharma companies in China, we see that. Uh, we see some crypto companies in here too. I'm token. Uh, let's keep going. A lot of these I can't read because it's in Chinese. Clayton. Popular cryptocurrency that's moving up on the ranks. Qcoin exchange uh, based in Singapore, which 
I think I uh, like. I didn't know it was invested by IDG Capital before this, though. So, again, more integration of the exchanges. I don't even think I put Singapore on my list. Yeah, let me go ahead and add that. So, Singapore. Right? So, Qcoin. Uh, more companies here. More companies, more companies. And for all who are just kind of listening to this, we're just going through like a big list of what companies IDG Capital has invested in just to sort of give you an idea how powerful these people are. Okay, Ripple. So they're invested in Ripple. Okay, more companies. Shanghai University. Uh, Tencent. Okay, key. They're behind WeChat, the biggest messaging platform in China. And guess what? Jim Brayer... He was an earlier investor in Facebook, one of the first investors in Facebook. And what does Facebook have? They have WhatsApp, which is another big American uh, online chat technology. So this guy is single-handedly involved in making the communications apparatus for billions of people in the world. Okay, he's, in, he's invested heavily in artificial intelligence in America, in China, for cryptocurrencies, which are very popular now in the top 20 or 30. So just take note of this, guys. Woomart. I guess that's Chinese Walmart. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so pretty crazy, right? Pretty nuts. IDG and Brer Capital, and you are have partnered closely. Well, of course, it's the same guy. <laughs> IDG and Brer Capital have partnered closely in the past decade on catalyzing high-impact entrepreneurs in the United States and China. Along with IDG, Brayer Capital, and General Catalyst Partners, who is another big investor, and General Catalyst Partners, just a note, this is the Council on Foreign Relations, okay? We're going to get into this later. But just so you guys know, Kenneth Chenault, is the chairman and managing director of General Catalyst Partners. Okay, so we see the Council on Foreign Relations involved here. And just take a look at this, guys. These are all the people who are involved in the Council on Foreign Relations. So whenever you think Council on Foreign Relations, think of the Rockefellers. Think of Hillary Clinton, Madeleine Albright, David Rubenstein, who is the co-founder of the Carlyle Group, which is the biggest private equity group firm in the world. Okay. Um, Kissinger Associates. Remember Henry Kissinger, our lovely friend, uh, who was largely responsible for the Vietnam War and many other atrocities? Uh, yeah. Jamie Misick, who was an intelligence officer at the CIA, Deputy Director for Intelligence, Director for Intelligence Programs at the National Security Council. Uh, <coughs> this is funny, served as the global head of sovereign risk at Lehman Brothers. Wow, I bet she did a great job, now, didn't she? So, yeah, you could look at this list. The Bushes are involved. All the big players, Timothy Geithner, Larry Fink, chief executive of BlackRock, one of the biggest hedge funds in the world, Ashton Carter, former United States Secretary of Defense under Obama. So just giving you guys an idea here of what kind of people we're dealing with when we're talking about the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, Ruth Porat, Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer of Alphabet and Google. 
president of MIT. Okay, so just some of those powerful connected people in the world, the Global Lisa Tree House of Horror, is here at the Council for Relations. So they are heavily invested in Circle, right? Back to the Circle article, we have brought on a powerful, powerful syndicate of major strategic partners in China, including Baidu, CICC Alpha, China Everbright Limited, Wang Zhang, and Credit Ease. Okay, and it gets even more interesting, okay? We are also honored to have two prominent individuals invest in the company. Sam Palm, Palmisano, former chairman and CEO of IBM, and go check out the Money Today show again. IBM has a lot of connections in the new blockchain financial system. A lot of connections. And Glenn Hutchins, the co-founder of Silver Lake and legendary private equity investor. Now, where have we seen Glenn before? Where have we seen Glenn Digital Currency Group? Oh, yeah, Glenn is on the board of the Digital Currency Group. Yes, yes. Board member of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Okay. Director of AT&T. Co-chairman of the Brookings Institution. Uh, Obama Foundation board member. Served uh, President Clinton as a special advisor on economic and healthcare policy. Okay, so you guys are... Again, piecing this together, right? It's all connected. Same people, same institutions, same power structure, getting deeply into crypto. So, connect this stuff. All right. So, Circle China, Euro expansion. So, they're going worldwide with this stuff. You could look into that. But let's move on here to... Now talking about the board of MasterCard. So now we see that they're getting their tentacles in everywhere with these guys. Let's go ahead and see who is behind MasterCard because this is going to really open your eyes a little bit. MasterCard, again, one of the biggest multinational financial conglomerates in the world, getting deeply into blockchain, as we have talked for the last 40 minutes about. So let's see who is involved here. So we went to Ajay a little bit, but just to recap, chairman of the International Chamber of Commerce. Now, what is that? The International Chamber of Commerce is the largest, most representative business organization in the world. Uh, its current chairman is this. Okay. A world network of national committees in over 100 countries advocates business priorities at a national and regional level. So an international business executive form is what we're talking about here. ICC supports the work of the United Nations, which we'll see a lot more about, the United, the World Trade Organization, and many other intergovernmental bodies, both international and regional, such as G20, uh, on behalf of international businesses. Okay, ICC was the first organization granted general consultative status with the United Nations Economic and Social Council and UN Observer status. So really connected organization. I probably don't need to explain that to you. Uh, and who elects all these people uh, to be a part of the ICC? Well, it's the World Council, which sounds, I'm sure, lovely to all of you. Nothing ominous about that sounding. ICC's supreme governing body is the World Council consisting of representatives of national committees. The World Council elects ICC's highest officers, including the chairman and vice chairman, each of whom serves a two-year term. The chairman, vice chairman, and honorary chairman 
provide the organization with a high level of leadership. So this council, this world council, elected this guy to be the head of the International Chamber of Commerce. And now he's the executive chairman of MasterCard. So that's how big MasterCard is, okay? That's how key MasterCard is. So just piece that stuff together. And we talked about this. Uh, the World Council is the equivalent of the General Assembly of a major intergovernmental organization. In this case, however, the delegates are business executives and not government officials. And we're starting to see more of this in the world, that the world is run not by governments, but by corporations, multinational corporations. And especially going into the world of blockchain, when things are going to become borderless in many cases, and we've read articles here on this channel where it's been discussed that governments around the world are going to have to give up certain levels of sovereignty. Again, read this and look at this in our video about the Unholy Alliance with AI, blockchain, and tax. They talk about taking sovereignty away from certain nations in order to have them agree on a global tax structure, which is going to be codified and integrated into these blockchains, which don't have any limitation uh, and are borderless, essentially. So just take all this stuff into account. Take all this into account. Very key, very important. And so, uh, shoot, I have so many windows open, I can't even. All right. So I believe I saw, yes, this is key. Ajay is a member of the Trilateral Commission. Now, I can't highlight this page, so I can't show you where that's at. It's at the second paragraph. Chairman of International Chamber of Commerce, Exor. I'm not sure what Exor is. I didn't look into that. He has previously served on the boards of Kraft Foods and Dow. Ajay is a member of the Trilateral Commission, a founding trustee of the U.S.-India Strategic Partnership Forum, blah, blah, blah. But the Trilateral Commission, very key. Let's listen to Anthony Sutton talk about the Trilateral Commission. And if you don't know who Anthony right, Sutton you've done is, some uh, he is a very prolific author who has written about how American banksters financed the Russian Revolution, which led to the rise of communism in Russia so that we could secure, uh, or so that they, sec they could secure, not us, uh, a lot of Russia's natural resources which in many cases is why we've been so antagonistic to Russia over the last hundred years. We want the resources. They have some of the most plentiful natural resources in the world. And we financed this revolution as a way to do a kind of regime change so that we could have more easy access to their resources. And uh, Sutton talks a lot about this, not to uh, parlay too much into that. Uh, let me make sure that the volume on this is a little bit down because I know it's a little bit loud in some of our other videos. We're still recording. How long are we? We are at 50 minutes. Good. So listen. ...studies on the Trilateral Commission. Can you tell us about the Trilateral Commission? The Trilateral Commission uh, is a private organization founded by David Rockefeller in 1973. It was essentially financed by um, Rockefeller and some of the foundations, Kettering Foundation, Danforth Foundation, Ford Foundation. Uh, Ford Foundation was a very major contributor. And... Uh, the um, stated objective is to encourage discussion amongst uh, what they call the trilateral regions. I should point out that of the 300 members, one-third come from the United States, one-third from Japan, and one-third from Europe. But in effect, I find uh, that the actions of the Trilateral Commission are very much self-interested on the part of the international banking community in New York. 
So it's run by banksters, is what he said. Now, as far as the Trilateral Commission's influence on the American government is concerned, it's been said that the, there is a very excessive representation of the Trilateral Commission in Jimmy Carter's cabinet and in Jimmy Carter's administration. Well, excessive is rather um, an understatement, I think. There's some 200 million people in the United States. There are only 77 trilateral members who are American. Out of that 77, I count it no fewer than 18 trilateralists. That's about one-third the trilateral American trilateral contingent turns up in the Carter administration. Uh, Mr. Carter himself is a trilateral, Mr. Mondale, Mr. Brown, Mr. Vance, Mr. Blumenthal, Mr. Brown, Secretary of Defense. In other words, they occupy all the senior cabinet and sub-cabinet posts. In fact, there's some key committees, intelligence and defense committees, which are only comprised of trilaterals. So here you've got 77 Americans selected by one man, David Rockefeller, who's chairman of Chase Manhattan Bank, and we find that they turn up in the key controlling positions in Washington under the Carter administration. And would this suggest to you that perhaps we do not select the uh, government, that it is selected by these people who work behind the scenes? You can come to no other conclusion. If you look today at who's running for office, you find Mr. Bush is a trilateral. You find Mr. Anderson is a trilateral. Mr. Carter is a trilateral. We find articles appearing in Newsweek magazine, Time magazine, U.S. News and World Report, many of the major media telling us there's really nothing to be concerned about from the Trilateral Commission. Is there any interlock between the Trilateral Commission and the major media in the United States? Yes, there is an interlock, um, particularly in the um, news media. For example, the uh, Chicago Sun-Times, the executive editor there, uh, James Hoogie is uh, a trilateral. You'll find uh, Sol Linowitz is a director of Time magazine. And I think, yes, um, Henry Schacht uh, is a director of CBS. So there very definitely is an interlock between the trilaterals and the media. And perhaps this is the reason, then, that they rather play down the influence of the Trilateral Commission on contemporary American government. Yes, I had a computer survey made of um, all articles that have been printed on the Trilateral Commission since 1973, I could find worldwide only 73 articles. Now, what's the relationship between the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations? Uh, well, yes, and we've talked about the Council on Foreign Relations, right? So. Of course, the Council on Foreign Relations is a much older organization founded in 1920. I did a study in which I compared uh, trilaterals with or without membership in the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations. I find there's something over 50% overlap. Right, so a lot of the people in the Trilateral Commission are also part of the Council on Foreign Relations. And so, yeah, they're part of the same structure. And how are we doing? Sorry, I'm so paranoid. This is such a good video, so I want to make sure we still have it, right? Sometimes it doesn't record. So, yes, and we could read into the Trilateral Commission Wikipedia here, but I think he sums it up pretty good. Uh, is formed by David Rockefeller, and we know all about the Rockefeller Foundation and its connections with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and so many other things going on in the world. Um, we could go down that whole rabbit hole, but that would have to go into another video. Zbigniew Brzezinski, we've heard a little bit about him. Uh, Rockefeller advisor who's a specialist on international affairs. Uh, I think he wrote the Grand Chessboard, I believe. Um we could go down that whole rabbit hole, but yeah, total globalista. Um, and these are the people who are part of the Trilateral Commission. So you could see Harvard University show up consistently. Uh, and Larry Summers, who is the president emeritus of Harvard University, 
is the only board advisor for the Digital Currency Group. And he is a treasurer, or he was the Secretary of the Treasury for President Clinton, and he was a director of National Economic Council for President Obama. So, again, more connections, right, with what's going on. Other founding members of the Trilateral Commission, Alan Greenspan and Paul Volcker, both letter heads, both letter later heads of the Federal Reserve System. Goodness, I need to slow down. Uh, the organization's records are stored at the Rockefeller Archive Center. Now, that would be a really good read, wouldn't it? I would love to spend a day just reading into that stuff. Again, Brookings Institution, uh, director at the Brookings Institution. Where do we hear the Brookings Institution? Well, we hear that with Glenn Hutchins here. And the Brookings Institution has generally long been a hub for people like this. Uh, yes, yes. So you could read into that. But that is where this fella comes from. And you'll notice nobody else on the board is from the Trilateral Commission, but we will run into the Council on Foreign Relations rather frequently. So let's go to the next person on my list, Marit Janot, this lady right here. So again, here, looking at here her additional positions, Council on Foreign Relations, Mitsubishi Financial Group, uh, Global Advisory Board, uh, American Funds, which is a big mutual fund that I think, well, I'm not going to say that, um, past chairperson of the NASDAQ stock market, right? And that's probably what got her into the Council on Foreign Relations, big important position there, uh, member of the World Trade Organization, uh, Executive Director of the International Competition Policy Advisory Committee of the U.S. Department of Justice. So, yeah, you're seeing more connections here. All right, who next? And it takes me back to this page every time. Sorry about that. This guy right here, I think I looked into a little bit. Yeah, again, so Carlisle Group, I think. Was this the guy? I thought this guy was from the Carlisle Group. Yeah, so managing director of the Carlisle Group, independent director. And where did we see Carlisle Group? Council on Foreign Relations, right? Uh, Co-founder and executive officer of the Carlisle Group is the chairman of the CFR. So, yeah, again, we see more connections here. Uh, former member, President's Intelligence Advisory Board. Okay. He was on the Sprint Corporations Board. He was the chairman of the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, former chairman of the FCC under Obama. Okay. Yeah. Several other U.S. government roles, including chief counsel to FCC chairman, law clerk to U.S. Supreme Court Justice David Souter, and congressional staff member. For Wow. Including for then Representative Chuck Schumer, who I believe is now the uh, Senate Majority Leader, right? So we're seeing more connections. Okay, let's go to the next suspect here. This is a Goldman Sachs bro, career in investment banking, leadership of online securities brokerage. 
Yes. So, chairman of CoinCheck Inc., Trade Station Group. Uh, former member of Economic Council to the Prime Minister of Japan. So, again, this is an international organization. There are no country loyalties here. International board member and vice chairman of Human Rights Watch. Former director of the Tokyo Stock Exchange. So, Janot was the head of the NASDAQ Stock Exchange, and he was a former director of the Tokyo Stock Exchange. Lots of consolidation of power here at MasterCard. Wow. Okay. So, young me, she is big at Harvard Business School, as you'll see here. And again, we saw that with Larry Summers. A lot of roads lead back to two particular schools, Harvard and MIT. Two things to look out for. Okay. Koreshi. This lady. Uh, Chief Strategy Officer, Verizon Communications, Independent Director. So the other guy was a director at Sprint. She is a director at Verizon. So we have a lot of communication stuff uh, popping up here, which is interesting. Senior executive positions at Ericsson. And you all have probably heard of Ericsson a little bit. Part of the Verizon Foundation. Not Ericsson, but uh, she was part of the Verizon Foundation. And then uh, let's look up Ty. I believe he's the last one to look into here. Former vice chairman and CEO, DBS Group, which is a Singaporean bank, independent director, uh, Bank of China. He was on the board of Bank of China. Again, Jim Breer's wife, Angela Chow, also on the board of the Bank of China. Uh, he was in the banking division of J.P. Morgan. Uh, Brookstone, HSBC. And we talked about HSBC again in our Fluffy Pony video. Uh, involved in a lot of sketchy stuff. A lot of sketchy stuff. So again, yes, more of that. More of that. So, this is interesting stuff. This is interesting stuff. And again, we're going to go into the portfolio here in a different video of all of these companies they have in their portfolio, all of these relationships. Look at all of these projects for the Digital Currency Group. I'm still scrolling. Still scrolling. Still scrolling. I mean, I'm going to look into all these. We have to figure out what's going on, right? And I'm down to... Look at all these things. It's just unbelievable. Grayscale, again, they're behind Grayscale Trust, one of the first institutions to get into Bitcoin and some of these other cryptocurrencies, which got people excited. It's like, oh, institutional adoption is here. And it's like, well, if you look at who's behind it, maybe you're not going to be so excited, right? But I think that Grayscale is looking to adopt Monero, which was interesting, right? And I don't see why they wouldn't, because Monero is... Perfectly legally compliant. Uh, you can opt into regulation with your view and spend keys. Uh, and it's private by default, but you can record transactions if you so choose. And Arctic Mine, again, in our interview, he said it's actually one of the market's most legally compliant coins because you don't have developer taxes. Uh, you don't have uh, any centralization, really, in Monero. No pre-mine, none of that stuff. So there are no 
reasons to consider it a security and thereby do what they're doing now with Ripple. But I imagine Ripple's going to be fine because look at all the people who back it. You know, Jim Brayer, Digital Currency Group, and all these guys. So I think Ripple's going to be fine. That's probably why so many people invest in it. Uh, people like the Money Today Show and people that he follows, like King Solomon, I think is his name. They're well aware of this stuff, so they're not going to sell the Ripple. I think they're pretty confident. But yeah, many companies, many companies. Okay, so we got into that. We got into that. Where did we leave off? Uh, I believe there is somebody who's involved in the Red Cross, but I can't remember who that was. We're going to get into that, the Red Cross and its corruption, but we don't really need to do that. We know it's corrupt. Anthony Sutton also talks about the Red Cross, but yeah, uh, not the greatest organization. Carlisle Group, Amer American multinational private equity firm. So let's go ahead and go to uh, this. This is a listing of all of the shareholders of MasterCard. So this is really key. Look at this. 10.78% is owned by the MasterCard Foundation, which we're going to look into. It's a different group from MasterCard, which has its own board of directors, which is even more nefarious than the board we just looked at. So stay tuned for that. Vanguard Group, big hedge fund, BlackRock, big hedge fund, State Street, big big hedge fund, FMR, which is, I believe, Fidelity uh, Group. Uh, that's there, 2.93%. JP Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley. So the biggest banks and hedge funds in the world are the main investors in MasterCard, Right. All these financial companies, Bank of New York Mellon Corp. And it just goes on. And it just goes on. So those are the kind of folks invested in MasterCard, and those are the kind of folks getting deep into crypto. Right? And JP Morgan is working on their own cryptos, I believe. I think they're to some degree behind quant. And we've seen a lot of quant activity recently. BlackRock. A lot of people are mad at BlackRock because they're buying up a lot of real estate here. And a lot of people are obsessing over like NFTs right now. There's like this NFT craze. And what's going on is a lot of people are like getting excited about digital assets. And I think that's kind of part of the program here. I think there's a program happening to make people get excited about digital assets. While Bill Gates buys up on the all the American farmland, uh, BlackRock buys a lot of the residential real estate. And they pretty much buy all the real things out from everybody else. While everyone's like, yeah, look at my new JPEG. <laughs> right? You're going to own nothing and be happy. Remember that. So, MasterCard Foundation. Let's look at these guys. And I think we'll call it there. So, yeah, we'll look at that here in a little bit. But, yes. This guy right here, Zien Abdallah. And I don't know why... We're not going to make that comment. Uh, president of PepsiCo. Uh, sounds pretty friendly. Nothing going on too much here. Okay, we like Pepsi, we like soda. Not good for you, but yeah, it's fine. He seems okay, right? Well, let's go to the next suspect. Baroness. Baroness, listen to that. Valerie Amos. Uh, appointed Labor Party. Why are all these people on the left? First question. There are no conservatives or Republicans at all involved with this stuff. They're all leftists, which can kind of give you an idea, right? Because uh, leftists are more internationalists. They're not very nationally 
loyal or oriented. And so just some comments there. I think what you want about that. Uh, Labor Party Life Peer, 1997. Uh, British Cabinet as Secretary of State for International Development. She went on to become leader of the House of Lords. Okay, so pretty crazy, right? Uh, her career has spanned local and national government in the UK as well as global leadership, global government, in her role as Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs at the United Nations. So yes, United Nations is now involved. Her work in the voluntary and charity sector and in non-governmental organizations, NGOs, remember? I was about to say the name. I was about to say Voldemort, which would have gotten me kicked off YouTube. But yes, some... Rather Dracula-looking fellows are involved in NGOs, which uh, are antagonistic, I guess we could say, to national borders. So some of you probably know who I'm talking about. Has gone hand-in-hand with her policy and political work. In addition to being a patron of the Amos Bursary, Valerie sits on the board of the MasterCard Foundation, the the UN Foundation, the United Nations Foundation. Okay. I did not pull up that tab, but let's take a look at that. It's probably corrupt as all hell. UN Foundation. Helping the UN build a better world, I imagine is what that means. Oh, Ted Turner. Would you look at that? It was established by Ted Turner, also the founder of CNN. Okay. Well, we don't really need to dig too much into there now, do we? We already know what that's all about. Okay, and the... Mo Ibrahim Foundation. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure that is just a lovely peacemaking foundation, isn't it? Okay, so there's that. The Honorable Louis Arbor, because we have to bow down to these people. They're so special. Is a jurist in re- in residence at Warden Ladner Gervais. Uh, she so yeah, she's a lawyer. Good for you because we don't have enough of those. From March 2017 to December 2018, Ms. Arbor served as United Nations, again, United Nations, special representative, for international migration. And I'm sure she was all about building walls and you know keeping people in their respective spots. And hey, let's not have floods of people from the third world coming to the first world. Uh, I'm sure that was her position, right? I'm sure she was all about them walls, where she leads advocacy efforts on international migration, uh, again, we talked about the NGOs earlier, right? Other people I can think of also leading these efforts. Provides policy advice and coordinates engagement of United Nations entities on migration issues. Uh, she previously served as United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights and Chief Prosecutor of the International Criminal Tribunals for former Yugoslavia and Rwanda. Okay. She is a former justice of the Supreme Court of Canada. Whoa. And of the Court of Appeals for Ontario. Okay, so yeah, it just goes on from there. Uh, she is on an advisory panel for the Minister of the of Defense on Canada's Defense Policy Review. Yeah, so she's deep in this stuff, right? Deep in it. Okay, who's next? Okay, so this lady, we're going to see something else that you guys have seen before. Let's just scroll down here. I'm sure she's fine. There's nothing really that sticks out to me yet. Nothing that really sticks out. Whoa. What's this? Harvard 
Business School. Okay, well, that looks a little bit familiar, but no big red flags here. Uh, Jennifer was a consultant with Bain & Company. Okay, that sounds familiar. Why's that? Oh, yeah, that's where Mitt Romney came from. I think he was actually one of the founders of Bain Company. Interesting. Okay, so she teaches math. No big deal. She is a lifetime member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, man. Man, I almost got excited. Damn, Council on Foreign Relations. Lifetime member. I don't even know how you become a lifetime member. She was born into it, I guess. Born to be a demon. Good for you. Okay, so on Fonstat, or is Frazier next? I don't think there was anything particularly uh, special about this woman. Okay, yeah, you could read into that if you want to. Nothing too much there. Jay Ireland. I love your last name, brother. We love our Irishman. Uh, Africa's Iron Lady. Okay, yeah, we'll see more UN stuff here. So, first democratically elected president of Liberia. Amazing. Amazing! As Jesse Lee Peter would, would say. Uh... Yeah, I mean, she seems like she's done some okay things in her life, but she's part of the UN. Uh, she was appointed co-chair of the United Nations Secretary General's high-level panel of eminent persons. Right. Yeah, da, 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 da. Ellen Johnson Sirleaf served as assistant administrator of the United Nations Development Program and as director of its regional bureau for Africa with the rank as Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations. Right, so pretty big in the United Nations. She was the first African woman vice president of Citibank. She's a banker. Uh, I don't see what... Uh, well, you guys know where I'm going with that. That confuses me. What qualification... <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah, university stuff. Uh, look at this, Harvard. Harvard's back, cool. Uh, bah, 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 bah. So, same stuff over and over and over again. Michael Sabia, he is the Deputy Minister of the Department of Finance of Canada, or at least he was, uh, former Director of the Monk School of Global Affairs, so Globalista, likely, and Public Policy. So, he got a Bachelor's of Arts in Economics and Politics. Okay, so, guys, your dreams can't come true. No matter how much you mess up in your early life getting degrees like that, you can still be saved by becoming a globalista and a demon. Uh, let's see here. He held numerous positions, occupied various roles with the Canadian National Railway, including Chief Financial Officer. Interesting member of the Canadian government's Advisory Council on Economic Growth, and he is the chair of the, the Canada Infrastructure Bank. He is a trustee of the Foreign Policy Association. Again, more foreign policy stuff. Uh, probably part of the Canadian Council on Foreign Relations, I would imagine. <clears throat> so yeah, he is an officer of the Order of Canada. Big deal guy here. And this lady's a bundle of fun. A bundle of fun. Board of Directors of Alphabet, which is Google. Honeywell International, which is the military-industrial complex, which I pulled up here to do some research on. And yeah, yeah. Honeywell has been criticized in the past for its manufacture of deadly 
and maiming weapons such as cluster bombs. So great job. We love you. Really doing the world a lot of good. Good for you, Robin. And salesforce.com. So, yeah, she's part of a lot of stuff. Uh, bah, 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 more stuff regarding universities. A lot of universities have these people as directors. I'm unsure why. So she served as executive vice president and chief financial officer of Gilead Sciences. Right, so big pharma too. So big tech, military industrial complex, and big pharma. All in one person. Is that even possible? Give this woman a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, from May 2008 to 2019, where she oversaw global finance uh, facilities and operations, investor relations, blah, 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 blah. Chief Financial Officer of Hyperion Solutions. What's that? I am curious what that is. Hyperion Solutions. Uh, holistic Solutions to what? Is this big tech? Corporate Values? I'm not sure what this is. Okay, so it's like computer stuff or something. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. So, you can read more into that. Oh, look at this. Director of Finance for Tandem Computers and Accounting Analyst for the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. Okay. Well, so, that's to give you guys an idea of what we're dealing with here and who's getting involved in all this stuff, right? So, let's go full screen now. I'm tired. It's late here. We've got interviews tomorrow. I've got other things to take care of. But I hope that you guys got a little bit of a different perspective of what's going on here in the cryptocurrency movement because it's not just about the gains, guys. If we don't get into the right positions and if we don't build parallel economic systems, these people are going to take over. And these people are going to have more leverage over your life than they've ever had before. And I think you're going to be shocked if you get yourself into a position where, cool, I have a lot of money, I got all my friends into crypto, but then you end up in a panopticonical global surveillance system that integrates social credit, that integrates taxes, that integrates artificial intelligence, and then, you know, your brain's maybe hooked up to some machine that Microsoft runs where they're, you know, mining your heartbeat and giving you cryptocurrency, which we've actually looked into. They have a patent for that. I forgot which video we talked about that with. I think we talked about that with... The Money Today Show in our first interview. I think we discussed that a little bit. But, yes, a lot of dystopian stuff coming with crypto and blockchain. Don't be so excited about the hype. Don't be thinking, like, we've got this made. Like, oh, the promised land is this way, and we're going to be rich, by the way. Like, no, it's not that easy. It's never that easy. And this is what kind of happened with the establishment of the Federal Reserve 100 years ago. I mean, they made everyone believe that the Federal Reserve... Uh, Act, which was the act in Congress, which got the Federal Reserve placed into existence, it was supposed to be anti-bank. It was supposed to be a way to rein in these banks, which are out of control. Well, it ended up making them much more powerful and made them pretty much take over the world, right? And so they got the libertarians in. The libertarians led the charge. Other people started to come in. And so a lot of people thought, cool, maybe this is our way to freedom. Like, the libertarians are into it. They're not sounding any alarms. And they're getting rich. I want to get rich, too. And then you tell other people, right? And then your reputation is then on the line. Everyone's reputation is on the line because everyone's telling each other to buy this stuff. This is the way to freedom. 
and then maybe it's not. You know what I mean? Maybe it's not. And so we're here in the Monero First community trying to get people to the true freedom coins, okay? Monero, Pirate Chain, Xeno, Haven, and some of these other projects. And there are many projects you can look into. People like, they get up my... uh, my bum. Okay, I was about to use another word. But they get on to me because they're like, hey, you forgot to mention this coin. You forgot to mention this coin. There are a lot of coins in this community. Go on Trade Ogre. Have a ball. <laughs> okay. You have all of them there. Uh, Conceal Network. Somebody wanted me to look, wanted me to look into. Uh, PRCY coin. Someone wanted me to look into, which looks sketchy. I'm not sure about PRCY. But uh, yeah, a lot of projects. We need to support that community. But Monero first. Monero first. Okay. Monero's got the best tech. It's got the best chance of adoption. Let's fly the Monero flag and let's get people into this alternative economic system, which is based on a fungible, private, quick, scalable, awesome currency. That's what we need. Monero is true digital cash in every sense of the word. It is the holy grail to financial freedom. And we also need Christ too, because that is going to play a big role. We can't just think that money is going to save us. That's a Michael Saylor argument, and we don't like him, at least on this channel, right? And I'm glad to interview Michael Saylor. If anyone wants to reach out and have him onto the program, sure, I would love it. I'd love to get his insights on some things and ask him some questions about some concerns I have about him. But yes, that's about it for now. And please, again, like the video, subscribe to the channel, donate to our channel. We're doing some of the best work ever. Uh, the links are below for Privacy Coins and Bitcoin and Cardano if you want to play basic. Okay. And that's it. Monero Mateo. We have more great stuff coming. So stay tuned in, subscribe, uh, check out the Patreon. You get benefits there. And you also get to support the channel. Awesome. That is it. That is it. Love you long time, guys. Uh, have a wonderful night day whenever you see this and keep rocking and roll god bless bye